0: I'm so excited to start our new series, Monsters, today. It's set inside of the big overarching series of the the year, The Story, where we're going through the entire Bible. We're breaking that up into kind of subsections. And so the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at monsters, things that attack our faith, how we can know what they are, how we can be on guard against them. And so uh, glad you're here today to be a part of that. Dakota, thanks for setting the stage, man. That was just absolutely beautiful as we sing about God Who is by far no monster, but the great God of the universe who loves us and is only worthy of our praise. And so a fun thing that we're doing uh, throughout this series is we've asked our children, um, uh, just infants, toddlers, all the way up through. Uh, fifth grade, well, maybe not infants, they can't draw yet, but uh, to draw monsters and send them into our website and our Facebook page, and we're going to randomly pick out uh, one of those each week to win a pizza party for their family, and so Kevin received a lot of those this week through our Facebook pages and uh, our website and all that good stuff, and uh, he got an app to do, like, a random generator. It gives numbers to each of the pictures and then shakes them up and pulls them out, and so it's my privilege today to announce the first winner, and would you believe that it, is it's Luke Thompson. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I can't make this stuff up I just, I I can't do it So, thanks for the pizza party today We appreciate that We'll see you over at the meal packing right after that Uh, So, uh, really, Kevin texted me that yesterday I'm like, wow So, uh, there you have it If Nathan wins next week, then we might think something might be up So, uh (laughs) So last week we learned that about, you know, 900, 950 years before Jesus was born, the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation, split in half because they worshiped false gods. This all originated with King Solomon, who was the last king of Israel of the United uh, Kingdom of Israel. And he worshiped some false gods and kind of got this whole thing started. And I just want to read to you real quickly uh, a verse. You don't have to look this up. We're going to put it up on the screen here. We've kind of looked at it in the past couple of weeks, and it just seems kind of blah and routine. But I just there's something hidden in here that I want us to explore today, and that's First Kings 11, uh, verse seven. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Jerusalem's the capital of Israel, where people worship God. Solomon, King Solomon, built a high place for Shamash, the detestable god of Moab, and from Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So I want to look at that last part there, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. I mean, that, you know, that doesn't sound great, but it doesn't sound, you know, too intimidating or anything. But uh, I want to show you a picture of Molech. This was a, a false god that the people worshipped in, in, in back in the day. And, and King Solomon, right, the, the, the ruler of Israel, this great king of wisdom who worshipped God, began to be led astray by his many wives to worship these false gods. And Molech was one of those gods now, the detestable part is that the people of the day made uh, human sacrifices to Molech, and so you, you see the statue there, and they would heat up his hands to uh, unbearably a hot temperature, and then they would place live babies on the hands until they died. If they didn't die immediately, they would push them into the fire below the god Molech, and this is what they did. They sacrificed their children. So. When you read that verse again, it's not as innocent, it's not as tame as it might appear to us today. And if you're like me and you see that, we ask, how in the world could somebody do that? How could an entire group of people, how could a nation get behind killing their own children? right? Taking a baby and letting it burn to death to appease a God. What kind of a God is that and who would want to serve that God And it's horrific. And as a father, I can't begin to understand how anyone could go along with that. It kind of reminds me of the popular trilogy that came out a few years ago, the books and the movies called The Hunger Games. I've got a picture from that movie. They're great books. They're great movies, and uh, they warn against bad things in the world. That's the ultimate goal of this. But what happened, this is set in the future. It's a science fiction kind of a thing where uh, the the nation uh, is very oppressive and to control the different states within the nation. Once a year, they have each state take a, a random uh, kind of drawing of one boy and one girl and they bring them together in what's called the Hunger Games and they make the kids fight each other and kill each other till there's only one survivor. Right? And this was wildly popular, wildly popular in our culture. And I read them, I saw the movies. But again, what is it about this concept of child sacrifice? And, you know, to some of us, hopefully it just seems so foreign that we would never go there. And, and, and I hope that's the case with all of us. We certainly don't come and we don't see people burning babies in public to do things like that. We don't have a Hunger Games where we send our kids out to fight each other to the death, at least, at least not overtly. But as I read this scripture and, and I've been thinking about our culture and I'm thinking about the culture back in, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago, how did it get to be there? You know, how could they come to sacrifice children? And, you know, I'm guessing that part of it was it just eventually became some kind of normative in the culture. Yeah, that's just what we do. And I'm guessing that there were good people who worshiped Molech, who went to work and went to school and and had jobs and wanted the best for their families that didn't think anything about it. Yeah, that's just what we do. That's our God. That's what we do. I would hope that there would have been someone back then who challenged the status quo. Well, that's great and everything, but this is my child and you're not going to take my child from me. But I just have to believe that, you know, there were a lot of people who were drinking the Kool-Aid. There were a lot of people who were brainwashed. And, And as I think about that, what worries me and what scares me is, could something like that be happening in our culture today? Could we, going along with the normal routines of everyday life in America, could we be sacrificing our children to something that's horrible, but we don't even know it because we're so enmeshed into our culture? Could we be sacrificing our children? Could we ourselves be climbing on an altar of fire, not you know physically, but spiritually or, or relationally, and that could we be sacrificing ourselves, sacrificing our children? And, and we don't even know how horrible it is. I know it. It sounds unthinkable. But let's think about it. Why are so many men, women, and children in the United States of America addicted to drugs? Why are so many men, women, and children in America suffering from eating disorder? Why is it, are we not surprised when we turn on the television, or we read the newspaper, or we go online and we see uh, news websites that another one of our children has walked into a school and shot all their other classmates? I think there might be something to modern day sacrificing of our kids, modern day sacrificing of ourselves on altars to false gods, and we are creating and becoming monsters in our culture. And so today, I want us to think about that and to explore it. Because I believe this is happening and we're kind of brainwashed and drinking the Kool-Aid and some bad things are happening on our watch and we got to wake up to that. And so hopefully, if you're like me, we're tired of seeing those things in the news. We're tired of people that we know getting hurt or hurting themselves. And so what can we do about it? Because it is a problem. There are lots of problems. And the good news today is that God gives us some help. God gives us some good news. We can learn from the people of Israel who, even though they lived 3,000 years ago, they were human beings and they went through similar things as we do and we can learn from their lessons. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit. We're about 800, 850 years before Jesus was born. We're going to be in the northern part of Israel. If you remember, it was split into two. There were 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were in the north called Israel. And in the south, there were two tribes and that was called Judah. We're going to be in the north part today. And there's a king named Ahab and his wife named Jezebel. And they are wicked people. And they're evil people, and they've got the whole nation of Israel worshiping the false gods. And in this case, we're going we're to learn about a god named Baal, who was a false god, didn't exist. It was supposed to be a storm god, controlled the weather, and was a fertility god. And so people wanted to have children and all that sorts of thing. They had to bow down to Baal. God was so angry with the people of Israel that he he decided to withhold rain for three years. We'll show who is really in charge of the weather when he wants to be. And so God withheld with the drought, he withheld water for three years. And he called a man named Elijah, who was a prophet. A prophet is a spokesperson for God. We're getting ready to read a lot about prophets. And and their job was to go to all these kings of Israel and Judah who were getting it wrong to kind of get them back on the right path. And so Elijah goes and confronts Ahab and Jezebel, and he, he proposes a contest. He said, "'You believe in your God. I believe in my God. Why don't we find out whose God is real?' And so let's go out in front of everybody and and you can bring your 450 prophets of Baal and I will stand for the Lord and I will take you on. We'll each offer up a sacrifice. We'll call to our God from heaven to, to send down fire and we'll see who the real God is. So that's where we pick up today again in 1 Kings. This time we're going to be in chapter 18 if you have your Bibles with you or your apps or your tablets, you want to look uh, up on the screen today. We're going to be here for just a little bit. So we're going to see this contest. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, starting with verse 25. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, right, 450 of them, against one, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Let's see if your God is real and can come down and light this thing on fire. So they took the bull, given them, and they prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, because Baal's not real. And they danced around the altar they had made. You put your right foot in, you put your right foot out. I don't think they did the hokey pokey. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. So about 3,000 years ago, a little trash talking going on between one prophet and the other prophets. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Now the original context and, and content and meaning of this second phrase that he might be busy, do you know what Elijah really said to these prophets? He said, perhaps your God is in the bathroom. Perhaps he's sitting on the throne of heaven, the porcelain throne of heaven. Perhaps Baal got a hold of some bad jalapenos last night and needs some extra toilet paper. He literally was saying, Baal must be stuck somewhere in the bathroom. This is my kind of prophet. I love this guy. (laughs) So they shouted louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, right? Monster behavior. They're cutting themselves to get blood to call out their God, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention because Baal did not exist. He was a monster that they created. They themselves had become monsters. So now it's Elijah's turn. He comes up, he gets his bull ready, he builds his own altar to God, and he has people come in and they pour water on it. Not once, not twice, but three times. That had to cost a lot of money because there was no water because of the drought. So he had to get the water there somehow. But he's going to make sure if that thing burns up that it's not a trick. And so he, he does all of that. And then this is what he does. Answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you're turning their hearts back again. So Elijah says, God, show them that you're real. Let's let them see so that they can turn their hearts away from this false God of Baal and begin to worship you, the real God. And then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. God chose to show that he was real. He heard Elijah's prayer, not just to show up and show off, but to help people see that there was one true God and they needed to turn away from their monster God to the real God and to worship him. Because right? there is only one God. And so in this case, we find out that these people were worshiping a false God of their own creation. They created a monster and they became monsters themselves trying to follow and appease this false God. And so as we think about that in our lives, as as we think about what is an idol, right? We we saw Molech, Baal was was an idol that they worshipped, right? We, We don't really see like Molech and Baal around today. You know, what is an idol? An idol is anything that we love more than God. An idol is anything that you or I, that we love more than God. And what happens when we love things more than God, then we create monsters, right? A monster is an aberration. It's something that is out of order. Jesus teaches us in the New Testament, we're to love God first and then to love our neighbors as ourselves, which means that. We, uh, we have a healthy love for ourselves so that we can have a healthy love for our neighbor. Love God, love self, and love people. It's in that order. When we love something more than God, then we get it out of order. That's an aberration, and we've created a monster. And sometimes when we create monsters, we become monsters ourselves. Sacrificing children, cutting, slashing, right, giving all this time and energy to something that is not the real God. And usually sometimes our idols, things that we love more than God, are things that, that are good stuff. We just elevate them above God and we get them out of order and we get into trouble. Right? So what? So what's the big deal? What's the point? What's, what's the message in the story today? And there are always many messages in the story. But, but here's what I think the so what moment is, is today in this message. When God's not first in line, we become Dr. Frankenstein, right? <laughs> it says that in the original Hebrew, it really does. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when God's not first in line, right? When, when God's not first for us to worship then we become like Dr. Frankenstein. You remember him, right? It was Mary Shelley wrote this fictional book about a a doctor who wanted to create life and he took dead body parts and he he put them together and, and lightning bolted them and it came to life, but it was a monster. Why? It was an aberration. It wasn't a true creation. It wasn't a true human being. And so when we don't put God first, when we elevate things, we love things more than God, then we create monsters and in the process we become monsters because it's an aberration. It's not as God intended. Love God, love self, love neighbor as we love ourselves in a healthy way. When God is not first in line, we become Dr. Frankenstein, we create monsters. We create our own versions of Molech. We create our own versions of Baal. And usually we don't mean to do it and we don't have any evil intent in our hearts. Sometimes we just fall into this and it's very easy to do. Let me give you an example. I every day sit down at my computer and I keep a journal I write down some of the key things that have happened the day before. I write down some of the things going on in my heart and my life because I want to capture some of these moments so that when I when am down the line a few years I can look back and kind of relive some of the great things that God's done, how God's gotten me through some tough times, remember some cool things about my family. I've got an incredible short short-term memory, but my long-term memory sometimes is a little fuzzy. And so I want to remember these moments that you know the first things that my boys did or this thing that I did with Laura, like we, we saw this or did this. I want to capture those moments. And and that's just, you know, it usually takes me about 10 minutes, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes a day. Um, and usually it's the end of the day. And so my boys are, you know, they're home from school. like, hey, dad, come play with us. And like, let me just get this down 10 minutes, right? But when I sit down on like, my, my computer, you know what happens is after I've written my journal, right? I, I click on the internet. I'm like, oh, let me check the scores on ESPN or, hey, let's see what's going on eBay. Hey, let's see what the news is. Let me, you know, check my everyday, like uh, my home email. I've been doing work email all day. And you know what? 10 minutes becomes 20 minutes, becomes 30 minutes, becomes an hour, sometimes two hours, And my boys come back in, and it's time for supper, it's time for bed, and I completely miss the time that I could spend with them. Now, do you see the irony in this? I'm writing down moments that I want to remember and not forget, and I'm passing up moments right now with my children, right? Do you see the irony in that? And so from their perspective, right, their perspective, it can be dad cares more about typing in the computer than he does playing with me. And that's not true. Not in my heart, but how am I choosing to act? How am I spending my time? What message am I sending? I'm I'm taking something good. I want to remember what we've done and celebrate that. But it leads into one thing, leads into the next thing. And before you know it, I've elevated that upon spending time with my children. And it's very precious and fleeting because they're growing way too fast. Do you see how easy it is to fall into stuff like this? I think that happens with work. I think that happens with work for a lot of us. We want to go to work. We want to be the best that we can at work. We want to make a difference in the world. We want to provide for our families. And we want to work hard. And we want to get promoted. And we're going to put in some extra hours. And And, and pretty soon, before we know it, our work has been elevated above God and above our families. And, and in an effort to try to provide for our families, we're there so often that our families become strangers to us. And our children become distant. And, and, and our spouses are strangers to us and, and we don't see them nearly as much as, as we see the people that we work with every day. And, and so something good working has gotten out of order and it's become the first thing in our life. and we've done it for good reasons. That's the monster. that's the aberration that's that's where we lose it and it, it's, just, just, it's it's slick, right It's not malintended. And, you know, I see a lot of my colleagues like pastors or people who work on staff at church. You know, we're so into working for God that we forget to spend time with God. And I think that's the reason that a lot of my colleagues end up doing bad things like making sexual mistakes or or burning out or getting involved in drugs or, or whatever it is and not spending time with family. Sometimes we work so much for God, we forget to spend time with God. And just like work, it, it can be money, it can be a house, or clothes, or cars, or toys, or vacations, or trips. Anything can become an idol that we love more than God when we elevate it over God. And usually, they're good things. We just get them out of order, right? Right? Just think about how people want to look good in today's society, and we'll do anything to look good to the point of, wow, I have to to look good to impress people, and I'm going to stop eating, or I'm going to start sticking my finger down my throat, or I'm going to start taking steroids, right? Looking good's okay, but when we get it out of order, then we can get into some major trouble, Or we want to be, have our children, you know, we want our children to go to Ivy League schools. We want them to be the best at sports or the best at art or the best at drama or the best at dance. And so we kill ourselves and we kill them and we run here and we run there, we run here and there. And we're so exhausted at the end of the day that, that we just, we just, we can't deal with it. Sometimes we make other people our idols. We love someone so much that we elevate them above God. And for a while that feels good to them, but eventually it's going gonna, it's gonna to end badly because nobody can be God but God. And if we're looking at somebody else to be our God, then we're setting them and us up for some major failure. Because here's the deal, right? Our idols will always leave us broken and empty and wanting more. Our idols will always end up leaving us broken and empty and wanting more because they're not God. Only God is God. Only God is worthy of our worship. Only God is worthy of being first in our lives. And when we put these other things above God, it might go well for a while, but eventually we're going to figure out we've created some monsters and we've become monsters ourselves. If, If we lift up beauty and good looks, don't be surprised if we develop an eating disorder. or or our child develops an eating disorder, if we want to live vicariously through our children and and we want them to have a better education than us, we want them to do better at sports than us, if we want them to be a better dancer or a better musician than us, and we push, 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 push for them to be the perfect athlete, the perfect uh, academic, the perfect dancer. Guess what? Don't be surprised if they develop a drug habit because they can't deal with the pressure. People can't deal with the pressure of being perfect because we can't be perfect only God can be perfect. Mm-hmm. Amen. And maybe we put that pressure on ourselves. I've got to be the best this. I've got to be the best that. You know, I think at the heart of that is we're trying to earn God's love or we're trying to earn other people's love. They're not going to love me unless I'm good at math. They're not going to love me unless I'm a good athlete. They're not going to love me unless I look good. They're not going to love me unless I make a million dollars. And so we put pressure on ourselves and it's like we're climbing on the altar of sacrifice and we're saying burn me up because that's what we're doing because no one can be God but God. And if we put this pressure on ourselves and we put this pressure on other people to be God, to love them or things more than God, we're going to get burned every time. And... And God's not saying either or, either you love me or you love academics, either love me or you love your kids. Mm, He says, love me in the right order. Love me and you can love your family. Love me. You can love your job. Love me and you can love sports. Love me. You can do dance, right? It has to be in the order. Love God, love ourselves and love people as we love ourselves in a healthy way, right? See ourselves that we're creating God's image. We don't earn people's love. We don't earn God's love that we're beautiful. God made us beautiful, right? Inside and out. And we are worthy because we're children of God. God made us that way. We're not perfect and God loves us anyway. He helps us get better, right? But it's this unconditional love. There are no strings attached. We don't earn God's love and we don't have to earn love of other people who understand this, right? When God is not first in line, we become Dr. Frankenstein. We create monsters. And we become monsters and we offer ourselves and our children up on these altars of sacrifice and it ends poorly every time. So now what do we do about it? To take a line from Elijah, we flush out our idols, right? We flush them out. We've got to get them out in the open. We've got to figure out... What it is in our lives that we're loving more than God, and so we need to we need to we need to do an analysis of our lives. Well, how do we know that we love something more than God? Two simple ways to do that: we look at how we spend our time and how we spend our money, right? How we spend our time and how we spend our money, our two most precious resources, will tell us what we love more than God. So I would invite you this week to, to flush out your idols and, and to make a, 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 what I'm going to call a monster alert list, okay? This might be a monster in my life because I might be loving it more than God, okay? So when it comes to money, Right? The Bible teaches us that we are to give sacrificially to God of our money because that says, God, I love you more than I love houses or cars or clothes or camps or vacations or, or fancy schools. I love you more. The Bible says that should be a sacrificial gift, that we miss the money that we give God. And the Bible it comes back a lot of times to 10%. If we're giving somewhere in the realm of 10% to God, that's a good kind of indicator uh, that, that we love God more than we love the things that money can buy. Right? And we're giving to the church and, and we're giving money to feed 15,000 people today. That's a good way to figure out you know, if, if we're loving God or not. It's a good place to start your checkbook. Well, what about with our time? How do we know that we're loving God with our time? Because there's no real like, you know, if you spend 10% of your day with God, there's, no, there's nothing really in the Bible about that. But I think it's not that hard, right? If we're going through our day and we're spending hours on social media or surfing the internet or watching television or gossiping or or whatever, and we can't give God five minutes of our day, if we can't talk to God in prayer for 10 minutes or read the scripture, if that's like pulling teeth, monster alert, there's something out there that we love more than God with our time. And it might be our family. It might be our jobs. And I'm not saying that you spend 10 hours with God, but I don't think it's rocket science to figure out that there are a lot of things in our life that we could dial back if we really wanted to spend more time with God in prayer and worship and serving God. So to make those lists, right? Monster alert. This might be something that I am worshiping more than God, right? And, and for extra credit, once we make the list, I think maybe we go back to Elijah's words. Lord, how do you turn my heart away from this to you? How, how do you turn my heart away from these things that are good in my life? But I'm, I'm making them into monsters. I'm getting them out of order. I'm setting myself up for danger. I'm setting up the people that I love for danger. Lord, I want you to be first in my life and I don't know how to get there. And so I think the extra credit is God help me because I can't help myself. I think part of that is continuing to come to church and read the Bible and pray and and serve and, and be around Christians is going to help. But it's got to come from our heart and God's got to win our heart and we've got to give it to God. So to flush out our idols, make the monster alert list and to begin to pray to God, Lord, help me put you first in my life. And what could our lives look like if we did that? What could our lives look like if we really put God first? If we really loved ourselves as God loves us, as He created us to be His children, if we really loved other people as God sees them, not because of what they do or how they earn our love or that they have to be perfect because they'll never be perfect, but because they're children of God, what if we started living lives like that? If we ordered our priorities, what, what could happen? I think we could find out that we could fall in love with God and that would be all that we would ever need. That true joy and true happiness and true peace in life... And true satisfaction, right, is found in God and God alone. Right? I think we could discover that. But I think it could also enrich our other relationships. If we get God first, then we can appreciate that he's given us friends and family and, and church family and neighbors. And the, and we can begin to see them as God sees them. And, and we don't expect them to be perfect anymore we don't expect ourselves to be perfect. We don't expect them uh, to, to have to earn our love. And we don't have to, to earn their love. If we really started spending time with people and listening to their frustrations and building them up and sharing the good news of Jesus with them, if, if, we, if we started doing some of that, you know what I would think would happen? I think we'd have less people who are, who are having eating disorders. Because they feel loved. I, I think we'd have fewer people who were shooting up drugs and, and doing things like that because they had better ways of coping with stress in their life. I, I think we'd have fewer of our children walking into schools and shooting their other classmates. Because when they deal with frustration, they would find someone who understands that and, and cares about them and spends time with them and doesn't expect them to be perfect and place these standards on them that they're never going to meet. And maybe we feel better about ourselves. Hey, you know what? I'm not perfect and God loves me anyway. I think our world could be a much better place if we got rid of our idols and we put God first. We loved ourselves and we loved our neighbors as ourselves in that order. When God's not first in line, we become Dr. Frankenstein. Don't be a monster. Don't create monsters for the world. Flush out your idols, flush out these monsters. And we'll have fewer people who are hooked on drugs. We'll have fewer people who have eating disorders. We'll have fewer kids who are going in, shooting up schools. And wouldn't that be a better place? When God's not first in line, we become Dr. Frankenstein. Flush out your idols. Don't create monsters. Don't be monsters. Serve the one and only and true God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.